Hello there, my beautiful listeners. This is Bonnie Jean Alford, the Identity Guru. And I do apologize for the delay in bringing you this episode. I will tell you that this creating a podcast thing is not as easy as it looks like. Well, it is kind of easy. It's just I have to arrange for the speakers, which I do have the next couple of episodes lined up with them already recorded. I just need to decide what songs to include as the title of the episode. And that is actually more difficult than getting guests on the show. Because I have to make sure that I am not violating any copyright laws or playing laws or anything like that. And I'm giving credit where it's due. And it's just really an important thing to get it right. And the songs have to fit the inter- the, the conversations, not the interviews, because we don't do interviews on this show. We do conversations. Ah, see, I'm still getting used to grappling over my own format. Ah, I'm going crazy. Okay, seriously, though. I have been going through a lot in general, and life has just not always been simple for me the last few months. And, and I'm sure some of you are feeling the same way. I would really love your input and your thoughts. So if you want to send me a message and give some feedback on the show or offer some suggestions or ask me some questions, you can send an email to asktheexpert at theidentityguru.net. That's A-S-K-T-H-E-E-X-P-E-R-T, asktheexpert at theidentityguru.net. I would love suggestions of who would make a great guest and who you'd like to see me have a conversation with. As you can see, we don't hold back. And even today's episode, we're not holding back. I have a wonderful conversation with a pastor of a church in uh, the local Illinois area, Jeremiah Stingle. We have conversation all over the place. It's a long episode today. Uh, Him and I just got to talking and We looked at the clock and went, oh my, it's been almost in an hour. Ah! So you get a wonderfully long conversation. Um, And we talked about the challenges of living in the world the way it is today. And I was really struggling to find which song fit because I don't necessarily believe in God. And of course, as a pastor, he does, which makes for interesting and, and wonderful conversation. Uh, Now, I do believe in a higher something or other, more so of a cosmic connection. And in fact, I've invited a future potential guest to have a conversation about uh, our belief structures and the difference between believing in God versus a cosmic connection. And it's going to be hopefully a fascinating conversation if she accepts the invitation to be on the show. That said... I was struggling to find the song that fit just right with what we were talking about, with what Jeremiah and I had to say about the state of the world and what was going on. I reached out to the very person that I was hoping, that I'm hoping to have on the show and we talk about um, faith and belief and all of that, because she is a musician. And in fact, she's part of a group. And I fell in love with the song she sent. I just said, hey, do you got some music? Send it my way. And she did. And I didn't give her any other parameters than that. 
And the song she sent was The Challenge. And it is a beautiful song that left me in tears. And while it is a religious song, it's clearly about her belief in God. It's also a song that isn't going to offend people that don't believe in God. And it was the perfect song to sum up what's going on with this episode. Uh, this episode is really about challenging us to look at the world through different lenses and see it through somebody else's eyes. And that's what we were doing, what Jeremiah and I were doing in the conversation. It also got me thinking about the poem I wrote a few years ago in response to um, some of the violence against Blacks taking place. And I wrote a poem called the... Um, <sighs> yeah, the dream, the promise. And I, I'm going to grant you guys this, this wonderful gift of a reading of it, of this poem, because I think it's a very valid poem to really express some of the challenges we're facing in the world and the challenge to make the world better. Because the poem, while it is addressing the hate that's happening, it's also has a happy ending well, I try for somewhat of a happy ending. So today, my fellow beautiful human beings, get some popcorn or a glass of wine. Actually, it might be a glass of wine type of an episode if you're somebody who drinks wine. But enjoy the conversation. But before the conversation, after the commercial, because I have to have some sponsorships, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, before the, inner, the conversation with Jeremiah, please take a listen to the poem and then we'll go right into the conversation with Jeremiah. Afterwards, I will introduce the song um, briefly and then you can listen to the song. Thanks so much and I look forward to feedback. Remember, ask the expert at theidentityguru.net and Stay tuned after the sponsors for the poetry reading and then a conversation with Jeremiah and I. Thanks so much. Dojo-kun character books are fun fictional children's picture books with the right amount of weirdness and character building. And the can-do karate kid Makoto brings laziness and procrastination with him everywhere. That is, until he realizes these monsters are ruining his life. This book helps kids learn to defeat laziness and procrastination by using karate power. And the two true karate kids, friends Makoto and Michi, both want a dog. When one of them cannot have a dog, the dishonesty monster pushes them apart. This book helps children fight dishonesty and value honesty. And the follow-through karate kids, Makoto and Michi, dream of painting a mural at their dojo. But every time the kids move toward their goal, the quitting monster attacks. This book helps kids learn to use hard work and perseverance to achieve goals. Learn more at jennifertolgogger.com or order at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com or at bookstores. The Dream, The Promise by Bonnie Jean Alford. A dream promised in times long gone by when freedom was the foundation. A dream unrealized even as we stand ununited, bound by the chains of collective violence. A dream, a dream, the dream, bullshism. The right to dream is built on broken promises and stolen freedoms, hated, hatred, difference, skewing the world. One vision of ugly shatters the dream, but we must dare to dream. 
or dare not to dream. Expected conformity with lies and injustice as our guide. Truth, the right to truth is built on broken backs, unfree in a world of mere fantasy. Love forgotten in the action of evil. Life, sweet life lost at the hands of hate. Accepted hate the new reality in a world gone awry. Scattered truth stealing the dream from the future, from the present, uncertainty of time and the dream is lost? Dare it be said an impossible non-reality, unachievable even as we stand blind bound in the memories of false freedoms, the dream left unknown? As friendships part, a sea of anger remains. As hate wins out over love, broken promises of a better tomorrow stand as testimony to yesterday. A conviction of heart lost without a dream, without the dream, existing only in the vast confusion of difference highlighted as evil. Coexistence impossible without the dream as guide. Injustice cannot prevail, but fear controls and the dream stands unfulfilled. Alone instead of united, this is where we stand with anger in our hearts and blood on our hands. Innocence lost over misunderstandings built on generations of lies. The dream, dare we say it was never possible? Dare we say that we can still hope for the dream to be realized? For the dream to simply love? Sadness sets in. The world without a dream, an ugly place without hope, without a chance for survival. Tomorrow cannot be if we do not own today. Even as the fires are set, the glimmer of the dream that once was still permeates this existence. As we stand, tears fallen for a symbol of change unwarranted. A heart trapped in a world built on judgment rather than acceptance. Love uninvited with hate, the only guest. The dream is lost to the corruption of the uncorruptible. Promises of a united front fall violently at the hands of those who never knew unification. Eons of lies as truth invade the space that is now our world, our reality. Dare we continue to dream in a world that steals the good and hides the hope in the blood of children? Death to the dream, not a path we should take indeed. Yet here we are having placed the dream on death row, even without a trial, let alone a conviction. And yet this is the new truth, the new reality. United we do not stand, allegiance to nothing. Self-indulgence in the path of least resistance has killed the dream will kill the dream again. The voices of change, we go unheard, lost in chaos created by those we call leaders. We remain invisible, we must be, or the dream would not remain in the shadows, locked away from possibility. While life, sweet, sweet life exists without faith and yet we still exist. Must this mean the dream survives? Strong enough, we must wonder? For the next battle will define us all. 
The dream calls for love united, despite the difference, despite the lies of yesterday, despite the broken trust, despite the abandoned promises of freedom. The dream is not just a better tomorrow, but a better today. We must kill the hate, not the love, not the dream. For that is the promise the dream demands. Welcome back, my lovely listeners. We are here to talk truth today with Jeremiah Stingle. I got that right, right? You got it right. Thanks so much. So Jeremiah is a pastor in the Chicagoland area, and I'm going to let you tell our listeners today what church you're with and a little bit about you just in general. Well, Bonnie Jean, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be a part of this. I uh, love what you're doing. Love talking with you. We got mutual friends. Love seeing all the projects you're involved in. You're just an inspirational person. So thank you for having me on here. Uh, I am the lead pastor alongside of my wife. So my wife's also the lead pastor with me. So we kind of co-lead the church together. Uh, her name is Bianca and we lead pastor Living Water Community Church in Bolingbrook, Illinois. And if you're looking for us on social media or on the internet, it's just go Living Water. So go Living Water on all of social media and then golivingwater.com is the website. Okay. So uh, how is that working with your wife so closely in a, in something like a ministry? Yeah. So we've always done that together. We actually met in Bible college, uh, got married as soon as we graduated and then began to start in a ministry position serving at a church in Georgia as the youth pastors. And so we worked together, you know, we rotated the preaching each week, you know, I'd preach one week, she'd preach the next and we just led together and we've always done it like that. So we've been married. It'll be 17 years on Friday. So two days from today, it'll be 17 years. And this is how we've been doing it ever since. Okay, wait, wait, you've been married 17 years, you don't look a day over, you know, maybe 25. So you got married when you were like, five or six, right? I'll be 40 this year, this summer, I'm turning 40, I actually just bought a motorcycle last week, very first time I was like, I'm 40. Well, I'll be 40. And uh, I said, I need to, I need to knock something off the bucket list. <laughs> well, now did, is your wife all supportive of you having a motorcycle? Cause I know some, some people aren't all cool with the motorcycle thing. She's cool with it right now. I'm still, I got my motorcycle license a couple of years ago, but I didn't own a motorcycle. So I really hadn't had a chance to practice and stuff. So uh, I got a friend who's doing some work on it right now, oil change and things like that. And then I'm going to Actually, after we get done with this, I'm going to go out into the parking lot and just practice not stalling out, you know, with letting the letting the clutch out uh, because I, I don't feel comfortable to get out on the on the road and, and stall out at a traffic light or something like that. So, well, I, I'll tell you a little secret. Most people are shocked to hear this. I actually would love to own a motorcycle someday um, or at least go on a ride with one. I, I'm very. Do you know who um, Norman Reedus is and his show Riding with Norman Reedus on AMC? It's, oh. a, it's a great show. He's a star of The Walking Dead, and he's one of my favorite actors, one of the few actors like I can think of off the top of my head that I don't know personally. Hmm, I would like to know him personally, but that's a whole nother conversation. 
but he he has this show um that he did where he travels the world with friends and he does it all by motorcycle and he he's been to japan and um uh, New Zealand, all over the U.S. I mean, he's been in other places. I think he went to Scotland at one point, and and it's just it's this fascinating show about culture and doing it all by motorcycle and how you see the world a little bit differently when you're on a motorcycle versus on that. But I know some people get all afraid, you know, that you'll crash, and as long as you don't, as long as you have a helmet, you might be good. And you know, I mean, it's you know, living on the edge, right? Yeah, you know, and I'm not going to be too, too risky with it. I'm going to be pretty conservative with, the, you know, the amount of riding and the locations. Like, I'm not going to be trying to go on Interstate 55 anytime soon, you know, so I'm going to just take it easy and just do it, just puddle around the suburbs here. Well, I mean, you never know. You might take a cross-country trip, get your wife to go with you, you know. Oh, fun, man. It's got a little seat on the back. I don't know if, if it'd be comfortable to sit for very long on it, though. I don't know. I, I've only ridden a motorcycle once and I was, oh gosh, I was a kid. So it was a long, long time ago. And it was some guy my mom was dating at the time and he was into motorcycles and he took us, we went to like the convenience store down the road and he took us for a ride down there. And my mom was really upset that he took us on the motorcycle. It was one of the rare times my mom got upset. So uh, at things because well I think it was more she lost control and not more of that it happened it was that she didn't get consulted in the matter but that's a whole other conversation from <laughs> my mother we don't need to go there I'll save that for therapy later <laughs> uh, so how do you think that this motorcycle can work into your ministry because like or do you think it can do you think it'll open some doors that you didn't have open before you know, I, I would suspect it could, uh, you know, I think that, you know, there's some people who look for common things to have an interest in, to be able to, you know, have that door that's open to have a conversation or whatever. And, you know, I might be, you know, driving it to, I know that there's a, there's a brand new, like my motorcycle, like, uh, not supply store, but whatever, whatever it's called, where you buy all your helmets and gloves and, and things and i think motorcyclists have quite a, a community you know it's kind of like jeep owners have you ever seen people that own jeeps like they've got their own like special like little hand wave thing and stuff like that so i think motorcyclists have a similar type of uh a bond yeah i i well if you gather anything from riding with norman Reedus, that you definitely see that like anywhere he seems to go just because he's got his bike they just welcome him with open arms Though it could also be in part that he's this famous, amazing actor, but you know, yeah, keep that aside. Uh, <laughs> but I know I do think that you're right. I think that studies of from sociology that study the um, biking culture, there, there's been actually several studies looking at that subculture in our society. Um, and and there, there's been some on tattoo subculture too and merging them together as if they're like one and the same and they're not. Uh, especially now our world has shifted a lot. I mean, we were yes. earlier uh, before we started recording about how the media seems to have a much bigger hold on society than it used to. And I think that these, this, these looks at things like tattoos and motorcycles and 
and things that have been historically perceived as negative, um, I think the media plays a huge role in that. I mean, what, what huge, huge. You know, I think that there is a lot of outrage right now in so many different spheres of life. And I think it's largely driven because of both the mainstream media, like news networks and outlets, as well as social media. And so I think that in a lot of ways, media, especially social media, has made the divi division that's in our culture, both here in the United States and around the world, it's made it even bigger because it it gives people this idea that I can take this information that I just got and then I can share it with everybody else. And now we become tools to divide us even further. And they're, they're using us like they're using our voice in order to divide us more. And we don't even realize that we're being a part of this. And I mean this from every spectrum, politically, racially, economically. I mean, there's just so many ways that people are divided right now. And I just don't think if we had face-to-face -face conversations without all this extra noise added to the mix, if local communities just had places that people could just get out, meet other people, talk to other people, I think that we'd find out that we're a lot closer and united than we are divided. And I, I just think that, that there, we have a very, very large problem in our culture with division and i don't think it's going to get any better until we all take responsibility for the part that we've played in it so this morning i actually was telling a friend um well it was in a toastmasters meeting and we were having um this discussion about race racial di disparity and racial segregation and that kind of thing and one of the people in the group got a little uncomfortable and I posted, it is in the uncomfortable that we find the common ground. And I kind of live by that. I'm all about having uncomfortable conversations. I mean, this whole podcast, you know, is about talking about the uncomfortable and talking about, you know, things that you, people always say, oh, you're not allowed to talk about that. Well, why not? You know, why can't we talk about it? So you know, when you think about this disparity in our society, and I, I completely agree with you that this, that the media enhances the, the, the segregation, the separation, the difference, and it, and it vilifies things that shouldn't be vilified in many ways. Yeah. I mean, people know that, 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 Outrage sells. The more outraged I can make somebody, the more time they're going to give this thing. Social media companies know this. They know people are not motivated to stay on their platform by just reading good news, good things that good people are doing towards other people that are good. Like it just, people are like, oh, that's nice. Okay, I'm going to move on. But if something out, oh, I can't believe that person said this like that. I can't believe they did that. Yeah. I'm going to share this with all of my friends. And then everybody else is going to drive the social media algorithms to give us more. And I think we've got to realize, you know, like, stop liking and sharing things that are outrageous. And how about liking and sharing things that are good and watch how our culture changes when everybody takes responsibility for their own activity online. But don't you think that there's also a time to share certain truths online using the, the media to do that? I mean, like this morning, someone, 
I've been very active in um, helping to end the oppression in Burma for 20 plus years. And I had gotten out of it, the work, because, oh, they'd succeeded. They were making progress. They were actually instilling their elected officials. So I left my work and, and was like, it's in capable hands now. I don't need to do this work anymore. Of course, recently with what's going on with Rohingya and a new coup that happened this year, uh, it's been made aware to me that we need to do more again. So someone shared a story about something that was going on in Burma. And actually, this is a positive story. This is a, you know, a really good story about a restaurant being established to help the people of Burma. And it's, it's a beautiful story, and I absolutely love it. And I, of course, shared it and made a point to share it on all of my social media because I think it's really important to share these things. But it's also just as important to share what's going on in the negative there because that's truth and it's not in the mainstream media. It's not on the news channels. It's not on ABC or CBS or any of these channels that are considered the, the where you go for your news. Um, so how do, we, how do we draw the line? How do we, or maybe that's draw the line's not the right word. How do we, how do we decide what's important to share and what's not? You know, as a pastor, I have a responsibility. Uh, my highest calling is to help people, you know, find new life through following Jesus Christ. Right. And because all of this other noise detracts away from that, I personally have not gotten involved with sharing things on my public social media profiles, even on Twitter, like, I know that Twitter will show people who follow me things that I like and things that I, you know, share. And so I don't like things that I might like because I don't want other people to get distracted from what my primary calling is just so that I can like this thing. So in my brain, I say, Ooh, I agree with that sentiment right there, but it is kind of on the more, critical negative side of things. And, and so that's just where I fall personally, right. simply because right. of what I do. And I want to reach all people and I don't want to offend somebody with something that has nothing to do with the spiritual truth that I feel like is the most important thing. You know, when this life ends, the only thing that I get to bring with me into eternity is more people and that's it. And so <laughs> I don't get to bring money. I don't get to bring fame. I don't get to bring my outrage. I don't get to bring all of the wonderful things that I did with my life and all of the, the horrific things that I got to stop because I shared this information with these people. I don't, I don't get to take that with me. I get to take people, souls. And so that's the most important thing to me. But for the person who's not in that position, I think the way that I would process it is is this something, I have a friend who's very involved in local politics in his city, and uh, he's on a number of boards and committees, and, you know, he's he's uh, just making a huge difference, and and he he impressed on me so much that he said, these, these, these national things that happen that are so very distant from your life, he says it's better to spend time in making a difference in things that are going to impact your local community, because that's where, that's where real life is done. That's where, you know, things make a difference. I think that the way that social media has been presented to us and the way that we get outraged about elections and about, you know, 
the way that things are ha handled at the border and stuff like that. Yes, you should be involved in all of the things that you can, but then there's just things that, you know, you're not able to influence. And so to, to divide close relationships that you have with the people that you know, just because you don't see eye to eye. I mean, I've seen families getting, mm -hmm. getting divided over national political views. And I'm saying, man, that, that seems like you're being robbed of one of the greatest gifts in your life, your family right. relationships, yeah. because you're, you're buying into the system that's trying to generate all this outrage. They make money. Listen, you work for them. Whenever you post something on social media, you are creating content for this organization to basically have a free employee, you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, you just gave your time to work for them. You're creating content for them. Like, even if you're just sharing a post, you're now sharing a post that somebody else created. And it's, it's just further creating a divide in our country and a divide in our local communities and a divide in our homes. And I just think that we've got to own up to the fact that we've participated in this. And so I think you just got to run it through a filter of, do I want to, to, is, is this making a difference? If it's making a difference, then that's great. But is it, I think we've got to really kind of be able to measure that somehow and say, is this, is me creating this kind of content really making a difference? Or is it just, it, I think that a lot of times we get stuck in an echo chamber of just the things that we want to hear and the algorithms that these companies have are producing this content. That's just giving you more because they know you'll stay on it more. I don't know if you've seen the Netflix documentary, it's called, um, the social dilemma and yeah, I, did, I, didn't, I, I didn't watch it. I, I just, I'm, I, you know, as someone who's trained in social media and in media in general, you know, I, I don't know if I told you my second master's is in communication with a focus in media and public relations and a sort of wow. a focus in using social media. But I, I try to use it in an ethical way. I, I'm not a just share for the sake of sharing. I don't share things I don't do research on. You know, I, I, and I'm not talking to research on the news media. I mean, go look at other sources. Like if I'm going to share an article about medical something or other, I go look at them, look up medical journals and verify the information. And then I offer a clarification. Okay, this meme I think is important to share to get you thinking, but go do your own research. And I always encourage that. I acknowledge fully that not everybody's like that. Um, yeah. If I told you that of the traditional media, um, three main corporations control all of the traditional media, would you believe that? I do believe that. I actually <laughs> do believe that. I think I've heard the stat was six different companies basically control all this information. Um. You know, it goes back and forth and it may be six at times, but when you look at the sub companies and the, you know, all the different layers of the companies uh, and the, the different sales and, you know, Disney's now owned by ABC, Star Wars is owned by Disney. Those are all interconnected with this company and this company and their subsidiary and subsidiary. And so it, in, you'd come down to being really three have the most control. And then when you bring in social media, it, it, it's a couple others, but for the most part, I mean, even like Facebook, for instance, is owns Instagram. They now just bought, who else did they buy? They bought um, something else, some other social Snap. Snapchat, right? Is that the one? No, I think it's WhatsApp. 
WhatsApp, what's that's right. So yeah, they own WhatsApp and Instagram and then Google owns YouTube. And um, I don't know who, who what Insta, what um, LinkedIn owns, but like, so you have these three major players in the social media world that are, are interconnected with the traditional and it's, it's just, it's overwhelming. But I can also yep. see the good, like, you know, I know somebody in Japan who's working on a project to, you know, help continue art and, and culture. And if it weren't for social media, he wouldn't have raised the money he needed to do what he needed to do. So, yep. like, you know, I'm, I struggle with it because I see the, the people out there who are using it to continue these, the segregation and the separation between people. I mean, you talk yeah. about how, you know, politics and religion and be these big issues separate people. One of my best friends in the world, we are polar opposites in terms of politics. And we like going back, we went to high school together and he is, he's a, an author and he's going to be on the show at some point down the road. And we have no qualms about talking about our differences in politics, but he, we, we've learned very early on that we'd get in these rip roaring fights. Like we would be, you know, at school or on the bus or wherever. And, and actually at one point we stopped talking for a little while because we would get in such horrific fights. But then we finally realized that, you know, that doesn't change that we care about each other and that we're good friends and that we have a fundamental understanding of human existence. And we found those common grounds and we, we do, we also agreed that we don't necessarily go deep into the politics or religious discussions unless we need to. And we put a disclaimer on it and we say, we're going here, let's go here and then let's have the conversation. But that's not, you know, so we, we found the boundaries and how to have the conversations. How do we get that to the masses? How do we get that to help other people understand to find the common ground in the uncomfortable? Man, that is so, so good. And I think that, I think it's a matter of just listening to people. I think that we've, we've stopped listening to people a lot because we, we know what we want to say next, or we, we think we know where they're coming from because we've marginalized them into this is the type of person that you are, because this is your mindset that you come from. We categorize people like that. And then we just stop listening to them. What I love is finding people that I do have differences in opinion over subjects of religion, politics, medical science, whatever it is, and and really listening to what they're saying, you know, and that's why I love podcasts like this, because it is a place that the, the, the controlling people out there can't control what's being said. Like they can't censor this, like this mm -hmm. podcast mm -hmm. or where you find some of the best information that you're like, man, that is being censored everywhere else. And finally I can find somebody who's willing to speak up about it, talk about it. So I think that the way that we're able to proceed forward with this is really genuinely listening to people and where they're coming from their, their life's perspectives and, and stories, because when you just listen to all of the noise that's out there, and I just call it noise because I, I just feel like they just generate whatever they want to say just to get more people to mm -hmm. tune in for as long as they can so that they can share, share with advertisers, hey, we can have you know, 15 minutes a day with this person right here. If you'll pay us some money, you'll be able to get your message to th that kind of a person. 
Yeah. And, and you know, I, I will, I mean, I, I did click the button to sponsor this because, you know, I think that the platform is really good. And if I can make a tiny bit of something to help pay for whatever I need to pay for that is related to the creation of the podcast, but I, I you know, but I'm not letting that drive me and I get to pick and choose who my sponsors are. And, and right now my only sponsor is the source, uh, the site where I'm sharing it, Anchor, um, which is a great platform to have this on. It gets it out onto all the channels and helps you do that in a great way. But that was a conscious choice. And I will never let sponsorship decide what's said on this show. And if it means, means I don't make sponsorship, then, oh, well, that's fine. Because this is about truth and getting yeah. to the heart of the matter and who you are as a human being, Jeremiah, is a beautiful thing. We fix the, oh, wait, no, he's back. Um, uh, back. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you heard what I was saying. <laughs> it's that getting to know a human being for who they are is such a beautiful thing because they're, they're unique and there's things about every human being that's just special. And we need to get back to just respecting people more. Yeah, and, and that's that really is the key thing. And when when the when the system went unstable for a moment, I was saying that you know this this whole show is just about recognizing the beauty in someone existing. And I just, you know, want to get back to a society where we respect each other. And I think it existed once upon a time at some point you know, in, in pockets of, and I think it does still exist in pockets of, of American life and, and in global life. Um, but you, you made a comment about, you know, focusing in on the, the local communities. Um, I, I think it was, I don't want to misattribute, but I'm pretty sure it was Martin Luther King that said a threat to justice anywhere is a, a threat to justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And yes. anybody who knows me knows I am a a huge reader of Martin Luther King Jr., his, his thoughts, and, and I really believe in the dream that he had uh, to have a world where we can have, you know, equality and, and equity and a world where people who are different, for whatever reason, aren't viewed as different and bad, but different and good, because difference isn't bad innately. It's how you respond to it. So I, I really believe that. I also believe that, you know, fighting for the injustices everywhere is just as important as in the local community. What, what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, like I, I always get flack for working on, on projects in like, for instance, in Burma, um, as opposed to helping people next door. <laughs> no, I, I firmly believe that. I think that in, in so many ways, we need to do good research to find out what really the injustice that's happening really is. Because you said Dr. Martin Luther King, and he said famously that I have a dream that my children will be judged on the content of their character and not the color of their skin. And yet yes. it seems to be right now that everybody's saying, oh, look how bad racism is. 
and you know, May just ended and my wife is Pacific Islander. And so we were celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander American Heritage Month in the month of May. And, you know, the hashtag stop Asian hate is there. And, you know, mm-hmm. Pacific Islanders are part of that. My wife has, you know, when she was in high school and some other points in her life has faced, you know, people, you know, making fun of her for, you know, looking, you know, like she's from Asia and things like that. But for the most part, I think that we are not as racially divided as we are. I'm not saying the racism doesn't exist. I, I know it does. And I've witnessed it. And I've seen it firsthand. I'm from Georgia and I knew some people who definitely said and did some racist things. And I was like, my goodness, like, why are they like that? You know? And, and I, I think that injustice specifically the, the the subject of racism is something that you know through you know the the horrific murder of George Floyd that we all witnessed last year and the other ones that had taken place that were on video and and how many more countless ones will we never see simply because they weren't recorded on video you know i think that it does exist and it is a problem but i think that the healing for it is not from magnifying the problem i think the healing for it comes through getting to know people who look differently than you and finding out what their story is and what they've been going through we have a beautifully diverse church and to hear the stories of people in our church and the things that they've experienced really helps me to understand what those things are but you know i see now that you know places like universities are are offering segregated graduations because they want to, you know, give the right amount of honor to a particular group of people. And many times it's, it's, it's predominantly a certain race that might get awards and they want to have awards for everybody and all these other kind of things. And I just think that segregation is something that we don't want to go back to. We don't, we don't want to go backwards in time. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I want them to judge on the content of character, not the color of skin. But right now, it seems like that's all we care about is making sure that we've got enough representation of this and enough representation of that, enough of that. I, I think that there's a place to make sure that that we're not being racist and just choosing a certain color of skin to do certain things. But then I think that you can swing too far back on the pendulum on the other side, and then you could get off balance. And now you're racist when you were trying to be not racist. So it's like, it's like now you put too much focus on race again. And so I think that with any injustice, whether it's in Burma, whether it's human trafficking around the world, whether it's, you know, the issues with immigration at the border. I mean, there's so many injustices there. I think that we've got to do enough research first before we start public sharing it, because sometimes we found out that it was just all hyped up. Sometimes it was just the media hyping things up, taking a grain of truth and then making an entire batch of news stories about something that really isn't what it is. And then they hype everybody up and then we're all mad at other people. And, you know, it's just it's just a weird place to live right now. And I I agree with you for the most part. I mean, I do, you know, with with regard to, for instance, Burma, I the I've done the research. I, I wrote a whole paper about it. I got a degree based on doing the research. That was my first. So, uh, but I, I think that you're you're right in the sense that you know we we keep focusing on the wrong question. We keep focusing on the wrong solution 
know, and that was actually uh, uh, earlier this, the, the, the premiere episode of this season was with a, a woman where we had a real conversation about racial disparity and how we build the bridge. And we, it was an uncomfortable conversation and we loved each other enough to go through it together. Yes. And you can go, if you haven't listened to that first episode, you can go back and listen to it. It's, it's a really profound conversation between a black woman and a white woman or two human beings having a conversation yes. about how this, this one difference between us makes a huge difference in the world and it shouldn't, it really shouldn't. And you, you're talking about that makes me think of the whole feminist movement that has existed over the last hundred years. When feminism really got its height in the 1970s, there was this huge push that, and this say that, oh, we need to you know, burn everything, burn the bras, burn this, that. We need to upheave everything in research. We need to do all these studies on women and females and how women fit in the world. And you know what happened? We had about a 10 year stretch where there was nothing on men pretty much. Like it was all these studies on how women fit in the world, but it neglected to look at how women and men together work in the world. And, yes. and we missed a boat. And so now we were trying to equalize it and there's, there's protocols in place to ensure that you know, all walks of life are represented in a study so you can get a, a holistic picture. But uh, again, when we focus on quotas and ensuring that we are matching those things, we miss certain boats. But we're, but I always struggle is if we want to make sure that women's voices are heard and men's voices are heard, and we want to make sure the voices of ethnic groups are heard, um, distinctive subcultures within a larger society are heard, and we want to recognize nationalism from different places, and, and it's how do we do that? without focusing in on or, or even just commenting on the fact that we have different color skin or different genitalia or different whatever the topic is. Man, that those are all really, really I'm trying to think of where, where to dive into that uh, because I mean, there's just so much. So I believe that God created man and woman, male and female, he created them is what the scripture says. And so I am a firm believer in the power of a woman, the power of a man, and the power of a united married couple when they come together and the distinctive differences and how they become strengths when you lean into both of those in their very unique ways and capacities. I think that I, I think I heard something recently, I forget who it was that was sharing it, but um, you know, the the idea that we force women into thinking that their value comes from getting out in the workforce and creating a career for themselves and things when, when, when they're the only human beings that get to create people. And like, that's really an important thing. And my wife, she has a career, but she also is a homeschool mom to two children. And she homeschools because she just wants to spend the most time with them, forming them into the human beings that they are eventually going to be sent out into the world from us. Uh, the Bible describes parents as archers and they are shooting arrows 
their children into the world. And we want our children to be on target. And the target for us is the life of Jesus Christ. The target is, can you love people enough to lay down your life so that it will benefit other people? And, and that's in everything that we do. It's not just in you know social justice issues. I mean, it's in relationships, like to have a successful relationship with anybody, whether it's a marriage or just a friendship, there's got to be sacrifice that you in some ways sacrifice to benefit the other person because people like being around people that do things that are kind and loving towards them. And that fosters great relationships. I mean, in any marriage or any kind of relationship, there's going to be something that you've got to overcome, some kind of disagreement, some kind of thing. And and many times someone has to be the one because both people can be right in their own way. But for the relationship to move forward, somebody's got to kind of lay down their right and say, hey, I'm willing to to, to adopt your mentality on this. Or I'm, I'm willing to just honor your mindset, even though I disagree with it. I'm just going to honor that. And we'll just make the decision based on your, your thinking rather than mine. And so, you know, I think, I think that in so many ways that we have tried in this attempt to clarify this gender identity things, I think that we have just missed the, the big idea that I think God wants us to get. And that is, there is power in being male. There's power in being female. They have very unique differences. So lean into those differences rather than trying to conform everything into this uniform. Just you, you mentioned the word, you know, equity or equality. Like, man, I, I think that when it comes to gender differences, I think that we need to celebrate the differences and not just try to make it all even and level. And I'm not saying you know, that women in the workforce shouldn't get paid the same as men. I think that they definitely shouldn't. I think we need to close some of those gaps and stuff. But what I am saying is I don't like when culture tries to tell somebody, this is who you, to be successful, this is what you need to look like. And that is so an insult against the creativeness of our creator, God, who made everybody beautiful in their own special way. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree with you on the whole gender identity movement i i'm all about difference and and you know um this will probably be air it's june that we're recording and we'll probably air this and it's pride month so it's the month where we honor you know the gender different the the gender identity differences the self-chosen gender uh and the differentiation in that as well as people's choice to be straight or gay or things along those lines or whatever path of life people take in regards to gender identity and sexuality. And, and I, so it's, it's interesting that we're on this topic now because I think that's important. And I think it's important to recognize that we've delved deep into this and we've spent so much time trying to define what is there that we've forgotten the beauty of the people it's all about. And, yes. and we're letting you know, there, there's an irony in the fact that we're letting, we're, we're in the battle to end the hate. We're letting hate guide the love. And, Preach it. And, 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 and of course, for our listeners, we, Jeremiah and I don't necessarily agree on, on whether, you know, I'm still searching about whether they're, if it's just more of a cosmic reality or it's God, but I respect his voice and his, his belief in God wholeheartedly because I, I just, I just do because it is a beautiful thing to, he's radiates love through his messaging. And that's the thing that I think as a society we're losing, we, we keep focusing in on the underlying and underpinning aspects of hate. 
that the media controls that people buy into on the media, even like movies we watch. And, you know, have you seen the movie 15 minutes? I've not. It's, it's from, I think 2001, maybe somewhere around them, but it's a film about it's horribly violent and it's, it's about mobsters and the media and how everybody's seeking their 15 minutes of fame. And mm. everybody wants to have that 15 minutes of fame and they'll do anything to get it and they'll go horribly violent. And it's, it's one of the hardest movies to ever watch, but it's one of the best movies to show the consequences of media. And my students always hate it when I force them to watch it because it is such a horrible movie, but it's profound because we do this. People want their 15 minutes of fame. And while we can utilize this media as a great tool to create change, it also creates the problems we need to change. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I mean, okay, thoughts. <laughs> Sometimes these are unscripted conversations, folks. Yes. Yes. And, and here's the thing. So Jesus said that he came from the father full of grace and truth. So grace and truth. And I think that that's where culture needs to get to because there's no grace right now in the world for anybody who views things differently than the way that the masses are supposed to view it. And I don't know who determines how that view is supposed to be, but if it is different, it is not allowed. It's amazing how quickly we went from tolerance is the greatest virtue because that was, I mean, what, 15 years ago, tolerance was the greatest thing ever. Just let people be, just let them live their lives. Just let them do whatever they want to do. And then now it's no tolerance for anything that is outside of what is okay to think about. And I think that we need more grace for people who, who need to be educated about something so that they can find a way to change rather than just canceling them, writing them off and saying, Hey, they're against all of us. I think that we need grace. Jesus was full of grace, but he was also full of truth. So he wasn't going to back down from speaking the truth on issues that were paramount to people living their best life. And, and I think that that's where the church needs to be in order to be a, an accurate witness of who Jesus is, uh, but also that the, the world needs to feel that kind of love. There was an occurrence that happened in John chapter 8 where Jesus found a woman who was about to be stoned by a crowd because she had broken the religious law that you should not commit adultery. So she was caught in the act of adultery. She was brought out into the street and there was an angry mob of religious people who were going to stone her according to what the religious law at the time had said was supposed to happen. And so the, the people said to Jesus, you know, what, what should we do? And, and, and he said, well, the person who's without sin should cast the first stone. And then he stooped down the dirt. He started writing something. We don't know what he was writing. Some people speculate that he was writing all of the mistresses that all of the men who had gathered to stone the woman uh, had. And so it says that each one of them, one by one, started dropping their stones and leaving until there was no one remaining. Jesus comes to this woman who obviously must have been terrified for her life. And he says to the woman, 
woman, where are your accusers? And she says, I have none. They're all gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And then he says, go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin. So we see the grace that's there because the law demanded she be executed. Jesus showed grace, but then he also showed truth. And he said, go and sin no more because there is truth. There is truth that exists and truth needs to be referenced as truth and then conform our lives to the pattern of truth rather than a pattern of, I'm just going to kind of be out here living on my own. And I understand that many people, probably a lot of listeners here may not have that faith in God as truth. Okay. Got it. Well, what, what, what can we define as truth? And then how can we lead people in truth, but then show people grace who may, may not be, have arrived at that truth yet because everybody's made mistakes in their life. If we just went around canceling, murdering everybody who did everything wrong, we'd all be done. Like we're all done. That's, that's the message of the gospel is that we're all sinners and God knew this. And so he sent Jesus to redeem us, to make us have hope that we can be born again and that we can have new life as we follow Jesus. Well, you know, if I, 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 I agree with you completely to, to some degree. I don't agree with your word choice of tolerance, but I didn't agree with the tolerance movement choice word anyway. The point they were trying to get across is accepting people for who they are. And, you know, and somehow we've got away from this idea of acceptance that we, or, because um, the, the word tolerate means to put up with, and I don't like us having that mentality of putting up with people. Uh, but I do love this idea of acceptance, and I love this idea of, you know, listening to what the message is and, you know, acknowledging, like, so I, I believe very strongly that there is a cosmic connection, that everything in our life happens for a reason and to prepare us, even if it's painful, even if it's horrible, you know, it, no matter what it is, like the things that happen to us, the things that we choose to, to partake in, all of it is for a reason and it's for a lesson and it's co- it's connected. And I have evidence in my own life of things, you know, happening that if, that tell you one thing and another. If you want to go back and listen to season one's No Roots, that really will pinpoint a key aspect of that whole um, aspect of that. And I completely lost my train of thought just now. I was going to point out, oh, I remember. So, <laughs> um, so, but the episode No Roots really explores where my root of this um, idea of cosmic connection comes from. But then you talk about how accepting other people and turning the other cheek and, and doing that. I had a former best friend who completely violated the trust of our friendship. She you know, helped, she helped my ex-husband hide his affair because my ex-husband cheated on me, which I forgave when I found out. I also forgave her for, it wasn't her that cheated with him. It was somebody else, but um, she helped him hide it. She advised him on how to hide it. And years later, nobody understood how I could stay in contact with her. And I don't want to give more details than that because we do have mutual friends and I don't want anybody to you know, necessarily know who she is. I want to respect her enough to not out her too much until people read my memoir and you know, some will figure it out. But uh, I'm all about truth. I won't deny it. But 
nobody understood how I could forgive her and make the choices I made to help her in the future long after this occurrence has. Now, she's not going to ever be my closest friend again. She'll never be that person that is my confidant on everything. If it's not something I would share publicly, she doesn't necessarily get to know those deeper personal things. But if I share it publicly, no problem. And the way I look at it is I can't live my life holding a grudge and hating somebody for a choice they made that I don't agree with. I, do, I still don't agree with the choice. I still will call her out on it every day of the week, but I can't function in that place. Because when we function in the place of hate and we function in the place of holding a grudge or focusing in on the sins, as you call it, or the mistakes, as others might call it, or the bad choices, as I might call it, when we focus on that, we forget about the person who is just like us walking through this life as a work in progress. And that's just such a beautiful thing. And, and like listening to you, if, if I could. It, it, it makes me think about what, I don't even know what words to use. You left me speechless, Jeremiah. <laughs> I, I think that's right. Because if, if we're operating out of an offense, a grudge, bitterness is only going to come out of us. And we've got to get healed so that we can be a healing agent to the world around us and the people around us. Because there's so many wounded people. And I think that if we all turned into wounded healers, and what I mean by that is the places where we get wounded are and get healing are, are places where we can help other people the most because we can identify with the pain that they're going through and say, yes, I know that pain. Or, or if I don't know that exact pain, I can say, wow, when you shared that with me, hearing that I can't imagine the amount of pain that your soul must be facing right now. And when people feel like that compassion and that care, it's just like, yeah. And, and okay, now I got to figure out how I can work through that. Because I think that what you just said, being able to forgive people who have done very serious wrongs against you, like committing an affair in this trust relationship that we said we will not have anyone else and then someone else that, that's that's betrayal and that hurts and that takes a sometimes a long time and sometimes it's a it's a thing that you you get healed from but then you still kind of carry that remembrance of that pain through that scar and and sometimes you have to remember to forgive again and again and again because you you forgive but then there's also like a a continued like I'm going to continue to forgive, you know? Right. Well, and it's also a matter of, will they go and do the same thing again? And, and, yes. that. and you know, in the case of my ex-husband, he kept trying to make that affair, his main whatever. And that's ultimately what ended us. Like the, he was not in the marriage any longer. I mean, truthfully, he wasn't in the marriage to begin with, you know, yeah. very get go, you know, he had, he had gotten me to fall in love with a lie. He wasn't who he said he was. And when he became who he really was, it was not a place I should have ever gone, but it was where mm -hmm. it went. That's very philosophical. <laughs> 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 I've been spending too much time in Eastern philosophy lately. <laughs> oh, anyway, <laughs> but no, I agree. Like forgiveness is not 
easy and it's a choice that you make every single day. And just as, just as the person who you've forgiven has to choose not to repeat the act that you're forgiven. And, and this is by and no means somebody, you know, you can forgive somebody who has done you wrong that you don't want to give them that place of trust ever again, but you can still forgive them. So boundaries is really important to have in our lives. There's a book by Henry Cloud and uh, John Townsend called Boundaries. And it's just about drawing your own boundaries and saying, hey, this is my life and I'm going to take responsibility for it. And anybody who's coming into my life and that bringing harm, I'm going to draw a boundary so that they are not able just to dump their harm into my life anytime they want to. Yeah. No, and then, and I, it, it took a long time for me to see that reality and to see that just because someone's family, just because someone, you know, is a close friend, just because somebody is whatever to you, it doesn't mean that they get carte blanche to do whatever they want to your soul. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, this has been an amazing conversation, Jeremiah. I think we could talk for a few more hours and still scratch the surface or still just scratch the surface. So I'm, I think that you'll be back uh, on the show at, at a future time. Um, who knows when, you know, you know how that goes. But I've really yeah. enjoyed our conversation. We really delved into several deep things. And sorry to the listeners for the, the glitch with um, in the middle. And um, is there anything else you want to share with, with the folks that are listening, wherever they're listening? Yeah. Well, um, you know, obviously we have our, our services streaming online at golivingwater.com. So we invite anybody who wants to, you know, check out what's happening. We, we try to make the most of Jesus that we can. And, and that's, that's really what we're on mission for is, is to make Jesus famous uh, so that as many people can believe in him as possible. So that's, that's the number one thing. Also, my wife and I, we have a leadership podcast called the Leadership Lab Podcast, and it's designed for people who really want to make an impact by leading teams of people towards goals or visions that are making a difference in the lives of other people. And so I'd encourage you if you if you want to become a better leader, especially if you want to become a leader of people that you are unable to pay. And that's where real leadership is exhibited is where I've got a vision that's worth something that that's worth you giving of your time. And, and I'm not here to offer you a paid position. I'm here to offer you a position that is going to benefit or pay your soul because you're doing something that's making a difference. So if you're that kind of leader, I'd encourage you to check out the Leadership Lab podcast because we talk about that because that's that's what we do in the local church here. We we don't have the money to pay people, but we can we can give you opportunities to make a difference in the lives of other people that will pay your soul in huge dividends that that you could never never ever get that kind of payment with a monetary figure. I I think that's wonderful, and I I can attest. I listened to an episode of the of your podcast, and I think it's really great. And it doesn't always take a religious bent, right? It's it doesn't. No, we we try to bring as many experiences from the life of Jesus as possible, but not from a religious standpoint. As much as it is, this was the world's greatest leader that's ever existed. Let's learn from how he led other people. Right, right. Whether you believe he was the Messiah or not is less important to that he just did good deeds in the world. And 
And on that, he was clearly, yeah, he was clearly a very influential person. I mean, all of human history is separated, dated by his birth. So he definitely was a pretty monumental figure in the, in the span of human history. Yeah, he had to be to, to, to be the separating point in history. So I agree on, on that. And I want to learn more. And on that note, um, my, my listeners come back in a moment. I'll have a few more words, maybe another guest. Who knows? I have no idea when this is airing or what's going on. Cause you know how they go. I record and then put it together with what it comes out because we talk truth. We talk reality. We have conversations because we're real people and thank you for listening and enjoy this brief break and we'll hear from you'll hear from me in a minute thanks well hello there again my beautiful listeners i hope you enjoyed both the reading and that conversation between jeremiah and i some really in-depth things were talked about and it's going to take some time to unpack it for your listening pleasure though, to end on a high note, I'd like to play for you the song, The Challenge by the group In Unity. Uh, I had never heard of the group, but my friend Camille is in it and they are absolutely phenomenal and fabulous. So check out their website at inunitylive.com and now enjoy The Challenge. Having searched every day for life's reward I've come to know just what's in store Wanna live on fire for the Lord Have I thought to do for someone else Loving others as myself There's more to life than gaining wealth I accept the challenge a life that's selfless to help a broken world one heart at a time i accept the challenge to live a life of purpose to take the seeds i've sown on the path unknown and do it all again i accept the challenge a mighty change has finally come to me Denying self-sufficiency Impacting my community
I accept the challenge